I don't know about you, but I hate it when I'm trying to plant apple seeds so that I can have a nice glass of orange juice in the mornings, but all I'm getting from that tree is apples. And no matter how many times I try to rip those apples off the tree, it still refuses to grow oranges. And it almost makes me wonder if there's something more to a tree than just the fruit that it grows. Hey everybody, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to equip Christians to think biblically about every area of life so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. And in this part four of our psychology discussion, we are going to finally start taking what we've understood about psychology and looking at a better way to analyze people, a better way to interpret what they are experiencing, and from there be able to offer a better solution. Now, to catch you up on where we are at so far, part one, we looked at kind of what psychology is and what psychologists do. Part two, we looked at both the foundational worldview of psychology, which is very secular and naturalistic, and then how they use that to interpret what it is that people are experiencing and trying to explain it through purely natural means. Last time, we talked about how because of how we analyze our problems, the solutions that we come up with are also going to be secular, and that Christ really has no part in our problems other than as something therapeutic or something to help boost us in our recovery with psychology. But ultimately, Christ is not the solution. He is not who we need we had to conclude that Christ played a side role to psychology, and he has to fall under the umbrella and the authority of what psychology says we need and how we need to treat it. Now, this episode, I'm not really sure what's in store. I do know. I've got, I've got my big old list here for my notes, but I might end up splitting this into two separate discussions, or maybe even three. Um, Because ultimately what I'd plan to do is just in a single episode, talk about a biblical worldview of people, talk about because of how we understand what people are and why they experience what they do, how do we then interpret that biblically, and then to give kind of a case study for those who might be interested, um, if you heard or remember back in episode one, I talked about my own experience with psychology and all these diagnoses and labels that I was given to help explain what was wrong with me. And so um, at some point in this episode or a future episode, I thought that I would, for those who are interested, uh, go through how I learned to interpret my own problems, my own Uh, psychological issues, if you will, through this biblical worldview that we're going to be talking about to help me realize what was really going on in my heart that was playing out in my thoughts and actions. So based on the title of this episode, you probably know where this is going to land as I'm sitting here recording it and looking at my long page of notes. We'll see. It'll be an adventure for everybody, I'm sure. But uh, for now, let's get into it. And before we do... Obviously, as always, I am not offering medical advice. Um, Another thing that I would ask here is that if you are listening to this, try to, I would ask that you set aside your preconceptions that you have about psychology, whether psychology is good or bad, uh, how it is that people tick, what it is that's wrong with us. And the reason I do that is that Whenever we approach something like psychology and we try to apply the Bible to it, if we are already assuming that everything that we are experiencing is purely secular or that we are truly victims of it, then whenever someone tries to apply 
a biblical understanding of things like anxiety or anger, we are more tempted to dismiss what the Bible says because it is not lining up with what we have already decided is true. And so all I would ask, not that you just believe me because I say it, but instead try to come at this as neutrally as possible. Try to set aside what you already assume about psychology and how true it is. Try to set aside what you assume about your own mental health issues and your own emotional struggles that you have. Try to set down your assumption of why those things are there or what those things mean. And instead, just try to hear and listen what we're going to discuss in this episode and see if maybe that might start pointing you in a better and more Christ-focused direction. So all that being said, what we're going to really start talking about, like I hinted at in the intro, is roots and fruits. And this is a very important distinction to make, and it's something that a lot of people tend to miss. Because if you think about a tree, right, you have a tree that will grow a certain kind of fruit. Apple trees will always grow apples. Orange trees will always grow oranges. And so we can't plant an apple tree expecting to be able to make orange juice out of it. And our mental health is honestly the same way. When you're looking at an apple tree, you know that the roots of that tree are what's causing that tree to grow. You can keep ripping apples off that tree all you want, but ultimately what you have, even if you get rid of all the fruit, you still have at the very core is an apple tree. And so if you want a tree to stop growing apples, you actually have to rip out the entire tree and replace it with an orange tree. That is literally the only way for you to get an orange tree growing in that spot is to get rid of the root issue of what is deep down under the ground and is producing the apples that you see. And so with our mental health then, what we often do is we see our experiences as our greatest issue. So we go to a psychologist or a psychologist, or maybe even we go to our pastor and say, I am experiencing anxiety, I am depressed, I am addicted to a substance, I am constantly getting angry, whatever it is. We will say, I need you to help me fix this problem that I'm experiencing. And so with that, we basically fall into the basic assumptions of psychology, which is that if we can fix what we are experiencing, we have fixed our only problem. Because as people, we only see the thing that's that's causing the suffering as our biggest problem. And if we can be happier, if we can be more relaxed, if we can better say no to things that tempt us, we will just immediately assume, oh, because my actions, because my thoughts are better, I myself am better. I am cured. But what I want to offer is instead a different perspective. And that is that the problems that we see in our lives, whatever it is, whether we're sad, anxious, depressed, whatever it is that we are seeing as a problem isn't our core problem. Instead, it is a symptom of a bigger problem. It is the fruit that is growing on a tree. And our bigger problem is actually something much deeper in our hearts that is producing that symptom. So in other words, we can all be experiencing a a deep root issue. For some people, it will come out as anxiety, others depression, others anger, others going and buying stuff on Amazon nonstop and being irresponsible with money. But ultimately, what we're going to be seeing in this episode is that we have a deeper issue in our hearts that when we let it sit long enough, it's going to start producing 
these problems that we see. But if all we're doing is dealing with the problems, then we're not dealing with the root issue. And all that's going to keep doing is it's going to keep growing that fruit over and over and over again until we rip out the, the core issue, that root that is creating all these problems in the first place. And that's an important distinction. With psychology, what you often do is you treat the symptom, and when you've done that, you call it a success. But instead, what we're going to be discussing from a biblical perspective is that we use that symptom in order to track down a much deeper problem that is creating it. And so we are trying to find the problem that is the origin of that symptom. And through that, instead of busying ourselves, removing fruit, right, just constantly modifying our behavior, acting better, thinking better, taking medication even to make ourselves feel better. Instead, we're going to get at that root thing that is ultimately killing us, that thing that is causing those issues to pop up in multiple areas of our lives. And so just like with psychology, we need to have sort of a three-step process. We need to have a foundational worldview, that thing that we assume about the world and about people. From there, we use that worldview to help us interpret why someone is experiencing what they are experiencing. And once we can pinpoint what the, the biggest issue is, we can then start offering solutions to those problems. So... Foundations, then, what is a biblical worldview of human beings? Well, first of all, we know at the very core that we are sinful creatures. We can see this in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 12, which says, What then? Are Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So, basic foundation here is that no person is basically good, but they just go astray. That is kind of the overwhelming belief in culture today is that people are basically good. We're basically right. It's just that somewhere along the way, problems creep in and we just need to get rid of those problems so that we can go back to being the basically good creatures we are. Well, from a Christian worldview, we need to understand that all of us by default love sin. We love things that are not just sinful, but things that are anti-God. And in contrast, left to our own devices, we hate the things of God because God is the the pillar, the bastion of righteousness, of, of truth and goodness. And because we are not perfect, because we are sinful creatures and are all under sin, as Romans says, then we naturally love the things of the world. We love the things that are against God, that serve ourselves. And by contrast, we naturally hate the things of God. And so that is... The, the number one assumption we are understanding we have to lay down is the fact that everything we're going to talk about comes from the fact that we are not perfect. We are not basically good. We're not even remotely good. Because as it says, no one is righteous. No one seeks for God. No one does good, not even one. And so when we start with the basic assumption that we are wicked at our core, we are rotten, we are corrupt, we are nothing but sin, 
without the intervention of God in our lives, then we can start building on that and understanding everything else that is involved in the human experience. Now, second thing that we need to understand about human nature is that we need a savior. 1 John 2.2 says that he is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. So a propitiation is a sort of an equal payment. It's a substitute. It is like some, you know, random millionaire like Jeff Bezos or someone coming along and saying, hey, how much do you owe in student loans? How much do you owe on your house? How much do you owe on credit cards? Here, I'm going to write an exact payment amount to pay those off. And that is what Christ did on the cross is he took our place and took the one to one punishment for our sin. He paid exactly what was required for every sin that we will commit. And so we also realize that because we are so sinful, there was nothing we could do to save ourselves. And we need Jesus Christ to save us from that sin. He had to take our place on the cross to be a perfect sacrifice lamb so that he could then give us his righteousness. Because as Christians, we know that while we still choose sin, when it comes to our position before God, even though we sin, even though we still sometimes daily put sin on Jesus Christ for him to pay for, we are considered right. We are considered holy, pure, and unblemished before our God because Jesus Christ took that perfect life that he lived and applied it to our account and gave us the life, essentially, or the position that he had earned on his life on earth. But once we understand our sinfulness and once we realize our need for a savior because of our sin against a holy God and our need to for justice to be done and for Christ being the only one who can pay that penalty for us, we also know that we as Christians are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.5 tells us that he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So not only do we get Christ who basically prevents us from going to hell, we also have the Holy Spirit who is regenerating us. He is the one who is working in our lives to grow us to essentially be more like Jesus Christ. You may have heard the term sanctification before. And that's kind of that core idea is that not only, you know, Christ isn't just a get out of hell free card. He also gives us the Holy Spirit to live in us and to grow us and to make us basically keep walking more and more in line with Jesus Christ in our lives. And what that essentially looks like is that just like on the day of salvation, when we repented of our sin and we we rejected the lies that the world told us about what we needed and who we are, Even today, as Christians, Christ is, in a way, still saving us from our sins. Not that he still has to continually die or anything like that, but he is saving us from the the desire that we still have to live as the world lives, to believe the lies of the world. And instead, through the Holy Spirit, we are being regenerated. We We are putting to death the sinful things that we love and instead are taking on the things of Jesus Christ and finding a love for him through what he also loves. And so things like holy living and all that are all wrapped up in the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Uh, And along with that, what the Holy Spirit does is that he gives us a new nature. Jesus Christ didn't just write our, you know, write our check and then just leave us as we are, but instead he put to death that old sinful nature that drew us to sin. And instead he has made us new creatures with a new nature. 
We see this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24, which says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So again, this is very critical because we as Christians today, when we are living, we don't live like the world does. We don't think like the world thinks. We don't experience life like the world does because not only do we have Christ who is the payment for our sins, not only do we have the Holy Spirit that has regenerated us, but we have a new nature that is basically incompatible with the world because the world is built and it caters towards that old nature of ours, those old sinful desires. I mean, that's why it is so easy to get swept up in the things of the world and to pursue sin and it's much harder to get swept up in the things of the world and pursue righteousness because the world just is not compatible with that way of thinking or that way of living but through jesus christ we have a new nature that is as ephesians says it's created after the likeness of god in true righteousness and holiness and so as christians that's where we find ourselves right now is that we we were in sin we had just our old sin nature we could do nothing but sin we couldn't choose god because no one seeks after god we couldn't do any amount of good on our own because we needed jesus christ to pay that penalty for us there was no works done on our part to earn it or deserve it or even maintain it and through all of that we are given the holy spirit and a new nature And it's the Holy Spirit who is basically making that new nature flourish, making us desire to walk in the spirit instead of walk in the flesh. But another foundational understanding we have to have is that we are torn between our old self and our new self. It's not that when we get this new nature, we are suddenly perfect and sinless, but instead of being fully obedient to our old nature, we are now basically at war with that sin nature. Uh, Now we see this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 10. It says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So here's a key thing. This is talking about that old nature. So look at the things that we are being called to put to death, to kill, to hate, to reject in our lives. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So, you know, on your own time, go back and look through Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 10. Look at all those things that we are called to put to death, things that are no longer meant to have a place in our lives, things that are not meant to control us. And a lot of those things, you'll notice, line up with these psychological problems that we have in our lives. And not only that, we don't just put them away, though, but we also are called to put on a new self. We are to to live in our new nature in Jesus Christ that he has given us. You know, and this war goes along with what Paul talks about in Romans, where he's talking about how the things that he wants to do, he doesn't do, right? The things that our, our new nature desires to do, we don't always do. But then on the flip side, there's that stuff that our old self wants, those sinful desires that we have, and we don't want to do them, but 
boy, do we do them. And Paul himself, I mean, Paul is the guy who you would think if anyone's got it figured out, he would. But even Paul himself admits that he struggled with this war, this battle that we have between submitting to our sinful nature and submitting to Jesus Christ in our new nature. And that is a a normal thing in the human experience. It's not a good thing. It's not something we just say, oh, well, I guess I can't help it. But it is something that we should expect, and it's something that we must be mindful of. Now, kind of along with that, we're talking about this struggle with sin. And we also need to realize that we are the ones who choose our actions. And this can be really controversial for a lot of people because there's a lot of times where we say, oh, I can't help myself. I just have a bad temper or I can't help myself. I'm just a gossip or, you know, sometimes I just don't think and I just say things and don't mean it. And I, you know, I know that I hurt people or whatever, but I just can't help myself. Or we say it with our actual physical actions. You know, we, we sometimes we get angry and we stomp around the house and, oh, I just can't control myself and I don't, I can't help it. And that is how it can feel because we are so sold out to being in love with sin in that moment that we feel like we have no choice but to give in to it. But listen to what James reminds us of. James 4.17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So we know that when we are sitting there with that sinful temptation, when we act on it and we know that we shouldn't, but we, we just say, you know, I feel like I don't have any option. I don't feel like I can help myself. I just, I've got to do it. Well, James reminds us that if we know that something is wrong and yet we do it, that is sin. That does bring on God's wrath. And that is something that Jesus Christ therefore had to pay for. And so we as Christians, we have no excuse when it comes to having a new nature, but still giving into our old nature, no matter what excuses, no matter what rationale we give, no matter what we tell ourselves in the moment, we always have a choice to either surrender to sin or to surrender to Jesus Christ with our thoughts and with our actions. And continuing on with how we understand where human action comes from, we have Matthew 15, 18 to 19, which tells us why it is that we do the things that we do. Here, Jesus says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Now, one thing to be clear about, and I'm not going to get into this episode because I will have some self-control with it when it comes to the, the amount of content in this episode. But when Christ is talking about the heart, he's not talking about how we do today. You know, our heart is just that, the butterflies that we get, those emotions that we have. You know, today we talk about the heart as just the center of our emotions. It's just how we feel it comes from our heart. But when the Bible talks about the heart, they are talking about the core, the seat of who you truly are. And if you want to read more about that in the show notes, I will have a link to an article I wrote that really explains a biblical understanding of the heart. But what Christ is saying here, though, is that it is out of, so what comes out of our mouth? In other words, the things that we do, our actions, our words, 
those don't just come from out of nowhere. They are representative. They do actually reflect who we are. So, you know, today a lot of people get in a lot of trouble because they will say things or do things and they will get caught because we live in an internet culture where everything is exposed to everyone. And they will get up and they will say, you know, I know I did this. I know I said this, but that's not representative of who I am. That is just something I said in the moment without thinking. But what Christ tells us is that what you say, what you do originates from the core of who you truly are and what you are truly desiring. And this, again, for specifically our talk, look at the things that he gives as an example. Evil thoughts. So whenever you think horrible things about your kids, about your wife, about your friends, you can't just say, oh, that's not me. That's just That was just planted there by the enemy and things like that. No, those evil thoughts come from you. You need to re- recognize and understand and accept that because you are at the very core a sinful creature with a sin nature that is still hanging on, When those evil thoughts come up, that is reflective of who you are. In some deep down part of you, some part that is completely opposite of who you are in Jesus Christ, those evil thoughts do come from you. Likewise, murder. Now, remember what Jesus Christ said about murder, that even to to be angry at a brother is to commit murder in your heart. So the same heart that gets angry is the same heart required for murder. So whenever you're an angry person, whenever you're yelling at people in traffic, if you know if you're if you're fighting people, whatever, if you're causing uh, rifts and struggles and problems in your relationship because you keep picking fights and things like that, that is coming from the core of who you are. That is when you are surrendered to your sin nature and letting your sin nature have authority over you, have control over you instead of your new nature in Christ. He also says adultery and sexual immorality. Again, today, a lot of people, they struggle with things like pornography or people will go to marriage counseling and things like that because of either emotional or digital or physical adultery, because I would consider pornography adultery. And so here Christ is once again saying that that this is coming from you. You are doing these things because of who you are. This is, this, this, this does actually reflect a part of you, not your new nature in Christ, but it does reflect who you are. And then he talks about theft, false witness or lying, slander, talking bad about people, gossiping, things like that. So here, a very critical thing we need to understand with where we've come in this discussion is we are sinful and in need of a savior. Once Jesus Christ has saved us, he regenerates us through the Holy Spirit. He gives us a new nature, but we are torn between a choice. Either we choose our old nature or we choose to walk in our new nature. But whatever we choose is reflective of what is deep down inside of us. So when we are truly worshiping God, when we are being encouraging to people, when we are walking and living and thinking in a way that is totally opposite and even unnatural to who we used to be, that is evidence of God's work in our lives. That is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and changing us and making that new nature more prominent in our lives. But at the same time, when we give in to that sin, whatever that sin is that you struggle with or someone you're working with struggles with, Whenever they give in to that sin, that is also reflective of what is deep down inside of them. That that root core sinfulness that is completely against God. Whenever we sin, that is what is winning in that moment. 
And we have to recognize that it is our choice to do it. It's not something that we didn't have control of. We are choosing to do it and we are choosing to act on our sin nature when we do so. And then final thing to look at just, and again, this is just talking about kind of the core foundation of who humans are, what we do and why we do it, is that when we sin, when we choose to make our actions sinful and live out the desires of our flesh, we are doing so because we are choosing in that moment to live against the spirit. Now, before I launch into the the verse and the discussion, I want to be very clear that when I say we are walking in the flesh and not walking in the spirit, that is not just this black and white thing where as soon as you sin, you have always been walking in the flesh. But instead, we have in our daily lives a bunch of micro decisions moment by moment where we say, am I going to walk in the flesh with this and give in to my fleshly desires? Or am I going to walk in the spirit? And in the span of five minutes, a lot of us can make decisions where 10 times we're walking in the flesh, 30 times we're walking in the spirit. Overwhelmingly, maybe we're walking in the spirit, but we do still need to recognize that that certain actions or desires that we have are fleshly in that moment. And so this is going to be, though, in Galatians 5, 16 to 21, where we're talking about whether we walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit. And it says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So here again, obviously very clearly, there is this, this divide, this distinction. If you walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. So... There are no accidents in the Christian life. We don't just, oops, I couldn't help it. When we choose to sin, we are not just choosing to sin, but we are choosing not to walk in the spirit in that moment. And conversely, when we choose to do the right thing, when we choose to pursue holiness, we are also choosing not to pursue sin. We are choosing not to pursue our sinful self and to give in to those desires. But it is always a decision, and that decision does always matter because We are always either hanging sin on Jesus Christ on the cross, or we are living out the life that he has given us. And then moving on in the verse here, it says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And once again, we're going to see a lot of similarities, a lot of things that are going to point us to mental health issues that according to God's word here are really boiling down to decisions to live in the flesh. So what do we have here? Some examples are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, meaning making enemies and fighting, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So again, things like these means this isn't even an exhaustive list of what it looks like to walk in the flesh. This is just when he is writing to the church in Galatia at that time. These are things that he was pointing out for them. But he's saying this isn't even everything that's an example of us walking in the flesh. And you Christian listening right now, you know what it is when you're walking the flesh. You know what those desires are and you know what those actions are that you take. So you can fill out your own list here, maybe covering some things that Paul has talked about, especially idolatry. I guarantee that is something all of us struggle with, whether we realize it or not. 
but you're probably going to have some things on here that maybe he didn't list, but that doesn't mean that you're off the hook. That just means that you have to know what the right thing is and what the wrong thing is, and that to choose one is to sin. And then Paul says something very scary. He says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And again, as I've said in a past episode, that's not saying that if you sin, you don't go to heaven. But a lifestyle that is marked by these things is not compatible with the Christian walk because with everything we've covered so far, we are naturally sinful, yes, but we also have a new nature. And we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and He is the one who is growing us and pushing us towards killing those things in our life that lead us to sin. And so at this point, I hope it's very obvious, and I shouldn't have to spend too much time on this, that when Paul is saying that those who do these things won't inherit the kingdom of God, he's saying that those who make a practice of it, those whose lives are marked by it, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, for Christians, yes, we probably should consider if we keep giving into sin, we need to examine our salvation because God tells us to keep working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We don't want to just take for granted the fact that we prayed a prayer or we've always gone to church or we, we said something when we were five years old and we've just always assumed that we're saved. But beyond all that, though, look at the steps that Paul gives us. He starts off by saying, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not sin. And so the conclusion that we have to make then is if we are sinning, if we are doing things that are disobedient to God's word and are going against the nature of God, we are not walking by the spirit in that moment. So for example, when God says, don't be anxious for anything, if we are anxious, if we are worrying in that moment, we are not a special case. We can't say, oh yes, God, I know you said that, but I'm special. No, God says, don't be anxious for anything. And so if we are anxious in that moment, we can start finding ways that maybe we're not walking in the spirit in that moment. We're not fully reliant on God, or maybe we don't even understand who God is to, for it to make sense that we don't need to worry in a single moment. Um, then moving on, Paul, again, once again, gives this flesh and spirit opposition. And it's not this, you know, good versus evil, dark versus light. It's basically us within ourselves. We have our sin nature and we have our new nature, our righteous and holiness from God. And they are essentially at war. The things that we desire, the things that we are placing our hope and our trust in are at war within us. Are we going to place our happiness on what the world says we need? Are we going to pursue sinful things because we are convinced that they will satisfy us and they will, will fill that emptiness that we feel? Or are we going to trust that God alone is our satisfaction? And that is, that is essentially the core of our flesh versus spirit struggle that we are going to live out every day of our lives. And then again, that list of fleshly works it ultimately boils down to reasons why people visit psychologists or they are good replacements for labels that people have attached to themselves. And not only that, it's not just a new name for it, but it lets us see that these things that we struggle with, the things that we fight, are truly spiritual issues. Because Paul's not saying that, you know, your upbringing is at war with your new spirit, your new life in Christ. He's not saying that your, your brain chemicals are at war with God. He is saying that it's your desires, the choices that you make to either walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit. That is your true issue, and it is spiritual. Now, when we take all of these things together, 
we start to see that we have a very different approach to how we are going to interpret a human beings and the struggles that they are dealing with. And this is why with these, the previous episodes in psychology, that's why I said that we can't fit Christ into the worldview of psychology or the interpretations of psychology. And everything that we've talked about so far really lays down why I was so emphatic about that and why maybe people were were really you know struggling because, oh, well, surely we can. But, but we see here that no, we can't because everything that God's word says about these decisions that we make, our anger, our sexual problems, our addictions, it's coming down to sin issues. It is decisions that we make. We are not victims. We don't just need to figure out coping methods. We don't just need to get rid of the action that we're doing because there is something much deeper within us. I mean, that's what Christ was talking about when he said it's out of our heart that all your sin problems are coming from. And so with with psychology, even if we're trying to apply Christianity to psychology, ultimately all we're doing is we are dealing with the things that are coming out of the mouth. But Christ doesn't say that the problem is the things we say. He's he's saying that our biggest problem is where those things come from. It's the root that is developing these different fruits in our lives, these sinful fruits, these habits and these thoughts and these desires. Those things, you know, if we got rid of them, yes, sure. Like psychology has shown us, we can feel happier today. But ultimately, that very thing inside of us that is growing them is still there. And all it's going to do is it's going to grow fruit in a different part of our lives. Now, maybe we can redirect and rechannel that sinful desire to something that is more acceptable to us. You know, maybe instead of getting addicted to alcohol that is literally physically destroying our bodies and it's destroying our lives in terms of social things, maybe we can get addicted to work or exercise or things like that. Now, by the world standards, that's better. And honestly, I would rather exercise too much than drink too much just in terms of quality of life. However, there is still a problem with that person who then gets addicted to exercise because there is something in them that they are trying to feed. There is a sinful desire that is at play and they are choosing to walk in the spirit by giving in to something else in order to feed a fleshly desire that they have. And looking at my recording, uh, we're after I do all the editing, we're probably about 30 minutes in. So I think I'm going to just cut it here for you. Um, I'm going to keep recording because I've got <laughs> some time to actually record, but I'm going to cut this here and just end our discussion on the core foundation, the core worldview that we as Christians need to have. And that is to really sum it up that we are sinful and in need of a savior. And when Jesus Christ saves us, when we turn from our sin and ask him to pay the penalty for it, to be our savior, then not only does he remove that sin from us and pay the penalty and give us his righteousness, but he also gives us the Holy Spirit who regenerates us and creates in us a new nature or essentially a new person in us. However, just because we have that new person doesn't mean we are suddenly sin free because even though Christ has put to death the authority or the our, our enslavement to sin, sin is still present in our lives. We no longer have to obey it and now we actually get a choice. We actually have the free will for the first time ever to choose, do I do good by doing the things that God loves, by surrendering to him? And, and walking to please him by walking in the spirit, or do I choose 
to give in to my fleshly desires, to pursue the things that God hates because I am convinced that they will bring me happiness. And I am the one who's going to decide what I do and what I desire and how I will get that. And it is those things, it's that decision that we make, intentionally make, even if we don't realize it, even if it feels like it's not our choice. Every time we choose to sin, we are choosing to walk in the flesh. And after a, a week, a month, years of it, these things start to become natural to us, so much so that we don't realize we're making a choice anymore. And that is where a lot of this feeling of, you know, I am, you know, I just, I have anxiety. I'm a victim of it. I am an addict. I, I have a porn addiction. I, I have no self-control with money. You know, it's, it's a problem. It's something wrong with me. We're going to start to realize that maybe, just maybe, we are convincing ourselves that these sinful desires and these sinful actions and the sinful way of thinking that we have is really just an excuse to love our sin, to not let it go and not have to surrender it to God. Because if we convince ourselves that it's natural and we can't help it, then we don't have to do anything about it. But if we truly believe what God's word is revealing, that we are naturally and inherently sinful and that without the work of God in our lives, we will never choose God. And therefore, when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have to choose what we pursue and what we do and what we think. And that everything we do comes from what is truly inside of us, what we've been developing, the the seeds that we've planted. If we truly believe that, then that's going to create some very difficult decisions that we have to make about the struggles that we have, the actions that we are doing, the thoughts that we're having. Because if they are truly our decisions, then that's going to say a lot about what is truly deep down inside of us. And that is going to make us confront something within us that a lot of us do not want to see because that requires us to truly accept and acknowledge just how sinful and wretched we are, how incapable we are of doing anything good on our own, and just how much we have to surrender to Jesus Christ. But we will save that for the next episode when we are going to be talking about desires, why we desire sinful things, and how we can get a better look at why we do the things that we do so that we can better interpret what is really wrong with us so that eventually we can talk about the best solution we have for everything that's wrong with us. And so I've typically been giving homework at the end of these episodes, so I guess just a a quick one before I, I start recording is just really think about a a sin struggle that you have that you feel like you can't help and just start thinking don't try to you know you don't have to dig too deep into it you don't have to come to a conclusion but just start thinking is what you're experiencing something that is just a fruit of a deeper issue is there something in your life where you are not walking in the spirit maybe it's completely unrelated maybe you're anxious but you don't feel like there's anything in your walk with god that is creating anxiety but instead maybe you know that you are not in god's word very often you are not praying to god frequently you are not serving and using your gifts for god's glory and all of these things 
can reveal in your life that maybe you have an over-reliance on yourself and an under-appreciation for who God is in your life. And therefore, anxiety is a natural result because you are relying on yourself for everything else in your life. But you realize that there's some things that you can't control, but you will not give it up to God. It doesn't even naturally occur to you to give it up to God. And so you struggle with anxiety and fear for reasons that you may have never seen before. So just consider that as I close out this episode, and I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com, where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ.